Hello, everyone. Again, this is Ethan Shapiro, the climate change realtor, founder and manager of the most innovative real estate corporation ever conceptualized, here for another episode of Changing the Climate. I am very excited to have my guest, Suzanne Jones. Suzanne is the executive director of EcoCycle, a nonprofit organization based in Boulder dedicated to building zero waste communities. She served on the Boulder City Council from 2011 to 2019, spending the last four years as the mayor of our city of Boulder. And, that's what just, and that is what Suzanne has just been up to for the last decade. So Suzanne, thank you so much for being here today. It is all my pleasure. Yeah, the pleasure. Thank is you mutual. for having these conversations about climate. I think it's such an important issue. Thank you. I, I love having these conversations about climate. And to be honest, I wasn't very interested in climate. I went to business school, but the more I talk about it, the more I have to learn. And I just am I'm addicted to growing and becoming more intelligent and learning. So that's what makes this show really fun for me personally. But well, I always I always love to start the show by getting some background on my guests, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. Ask away. What would you, um, what do you, what, what do you want to know? Fair enough. Um, I, I always basically just say, how'd you get to where you are today? I'm, I'm curious what led you to, to do the masters at the university of Michigan on resource and policy management. How did you get into resource management and what made you get into politics and all that kind of stuff? Great question. Well, it all started with me falling in love with a mountain. And I grew up, <laughs> I grew up actually in inner city, Kansas City, but my parents were teachers. And so they would bring us out to the West Slope of Colorado every summer. And that's where, uh, out near Carbondale and fell in love with Mount Sopras, which turns out is protected wilderness and knew that I wanted to be involved with trying to preserve uh, the planet for all of us, but also for itself, because it's so amazing. Mm -hmm. And so um, that le led me, and I should say, I have a twin sister, Elise Jones. She's a Boulder County Commissioner. And we both went to undergrad together at Cornell and studied natural resource and environmental science. And that was a blast. Got to study all the ologies and how nature works. And then I sampled a few different career paths, working for the Park Service, teaching Outward Bound, um, doing environmental education. And then I decided, we're going to save the planet. I need to go and do policy. So I ended up going to the University of Michigan. Back then it was called the School of Natural Resources. And they have a great program. And it's all about, you know, how do you begin to change the levers of power in order to set up a system to transform the system, to better um, protect the planet, to, to get all those businesses out there, to start businesses that are actually sustainable, both economically and environmentally. So that's what I did. And then um, that led me to go to Washington, D.C., which is where a lot of environmental policy is made. And so what did you I, do I worked, there? I worked for the National Wildlife Federation. Well, first I worked on, on Capitol Hill for a year for the House of Representatives for that. Um, what was in the Fisheries and Wildlife Subcommittee. And, and that caused National Wildlife Federation to hire me to work on endangered species and the Endangered Species Act. And I did that for a few years and it was fascinating. It was wonderful to see how it works and how it doesn't. And just about when Newt Gingrich took over the House of Representatives, that's probably before your time, Ethan, but mm -hmm. it's when things lurched uh, more conservative and the parties quit working together. I decided it's time to get back to the mountains. So I came back to Colorado 
and I worked for 16 years for the Wilderness Society. And I got to protect our public lands in Colorado and Utah and work on forest management and wildlife habitat preservation and climate change. Yes. And so, yeah. So when you say work, work on protecting our land, what would that look like on like a day-to-day basis for 16 years? I worked in collaboration with lots of other groups like Sierra Club and local forest protection groups. And we would um, work to, you know, to work on forest plans and other administrative uh, documents that, that are the management plans for public lands, but also to pass legislation in Congress to designate lands as wilderness or to expand national parks or to establish national conservation areas. And so that was just to make sure that there's plenty of wild places left that are intact and doing all the great things that uh, the environment does for us naturally, right? Providing clean air, Mm -hmm. clean water, um, and also for us to enjoy for generations to come. So that was a great labor of love. Yeah, well, Um, thank you for that. And I guess my first question for you is, why do you think conservation is so important? And then my like kind of second question off of that is, why do you think most people don't even think about or realize how much we're, we're truly failing at, at this? We haven't struck a balance between the natural world and the human world, if there is that split. Well, so why we should care is yes. we have this one amazing blue-green planet mm-hmm. in the whole universe right we're the only planet like it and it's amazing when you think about things like monarch butterflies that that migrate around the world these little butterflies and you know how does that happen and all the fact that you know uh nothing is wasted in nature it's this amazing cycle and and um for all those reasons it's it's, uh it is our one planet and we depend on it for our well-being We depend on it spiritually because we all love to go to the outdoors. Colorado knows this. Boulder knows this. Mm -hmm. We need it more than ever. Um, But also just we need it for the clean air. We need it for clean water. It's where our food comes from. It's where our medicine comes from. It's where all of the aspects of our life, you know, start from is, you know, natural resources, right? Uh, To make our clothes and our cars and our houses and all that. Anyhow, it stems from this. And we need to be in balance with that uh, because right now we aren't. And eventually we're going to run out of resources, right? Quickly. Yeah. And if everybody adopts the lifestyle of the United States, which, and we consume a lot, and mm-hmm. frankly, Boulder consumes a lot. Um, if everybody adopts that lifestyle, lifestyle, we're going to need five planets to provide all of those resources so everybody can have a car or two cars, etc. And so that's not sustainable. We, can't, we need to get that under control. And so we need to care because it's the right thing to do. We need to care because our future depends on it. Yeah. And you say need in the sense that it could be life or death, potentially, not necessarily in the next 10, 20 years, but you're talking about the next few centuries of human life. If everyone were to try and live this American lifestyle, we would basically suck the planet, drive all resources and then turn into a Correct. Desert. And we're already seeing the impacts of climate change because the other aspect of that is we pollute a lot as human beings and we could do much better. And you know what, uh, when there is pollution, it's, it's waste, right? It's an inefficiency mm-hmm. in the system. And you as a business um, person should know that, that nature doesn't have waste, right? Nothing, you know, everything is used in nature and it just cycles through. Uh, when we produce air pollution um, that begins to warm our climate, we are 
you know, we are out of whack with systems. So we're already seeing the impacts of climate change, right? Uh, yeah. if, even if you've only lived here 10 years, you, the summers are warmer, there's less snow, there's bigger storms, but it doesn't last as long. You look outside right now and it's dry, even though it snowed a little bit, you know, earlier in the week and we're having more wildfires, they're bigger, etc. So it's going to be during our lifetimes, we're going to see drastic change. And we're going to bring, uh, not only are we going to fundamentally change our quality of life and all the inequities that come with not having enough resources to go around, but we're going to take down a lot of life forms with us. We're going to see a lot of extinctions during our lifetimes, let alone a hundred years from now. And so we really need to get to work to address that, which is why I now work for EcoCycle. Yes. Yeah. And um, I, you asked me how I got into politics. Well, I got into politics and EcoCycle at the same time for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. And I was working at the Wilderness Society and trying to deal with Congress and we were getting no national leadership on really important issues like climate. And I was Why? like, Why? Well, because some powerful entities are making money from the status quo, the oil and gas industry, big corporations that are all big about pharma. getting as many. Yeah. And sell the, the, the companies that want to sell us lots of stuff, right? That's in, incongruous with this notion, this notion of, of getting more in balance and using less. So those two different things um, are at odds. And so- I have a question. Yep. Do, we, do we need to combat these people or is there some way that we can get them onto the side of everyone? Because I, ha- I have this belief that like you can be friends with anyone and everyone's like, oh, you can't be friends with everyone. And there are these big powerful entities that are trying to make short-term profits. But surely at the heads of every organization is, is a human being who I could get on a podcast and have a conversation with and see the way they think and how they feel. I don't know. It, I, it's, just, it's just troubling. Okay. Uh, yes, I think ultimately, um, yes, you, you should be able to talk to every human being. Corporations, people. Corporations are people uh, working together. Well, but the system, we have to change the system. We live in a capitalist society and it's based on, you know, you get to make as much as you can um, and make money doing it, right? And what society has to do is put sideboards on capitalism and say, yeah, but you can't make money polluting. You can't, right, you know, right. and so we have the Clean Air Act, but you know, it, it was passed by politicians who depend on money from the corporations, so it's not as strong as it should be. And the same thing, you're not supposed to pollute the water, and oh, by the way, you're supposed to pay your workers a decent wage, and so on. And so we, the society, and us as activists and, and participants in democracy need to keep changing that system so that as people do their capitalist things, if businesses happen, they, um, the oars are in the water going towards the common good, okay? And uh-huh. so your business needs to produce public benefit and not have all these externalities like pollution or um, income equality or, you know, th- those sure. sorts of things or, or toxic products, right? You need to be, you know, and so part of it is we need to change the system so that, um the businesses aren't allowed to do the bad stuff and they are incentivized and motivated to do good things and make so, money doing it. 
Correct. So what they taught at Leeds was right now we're on this system where we prioritize shareholder value. But what they taught at Leeds was to prioritize stakeholder value. And I do believe that the economy is based on create not just deriving profit, but creating value for as many people as possible. And this idea of a stakeholder is someone who has a vested interest in the company. So I see like an oil company that yes, they provide heat and energy and power to us. But if they're polluting the air, which is eventually going to kill us, that's going to hurt their stakeholders stakeholders because we all have a stake in the environment, right? Exactly. And I, I think um, setting up corporations so that they are geared towards the public good, like B corporations, that is a form right. of a corporation that has, enca has encapsulated that concept that you're talking about. Sure. We learned so, about that as well. So one of the things that we're doing at EcoCycle and, and how I got into working for EcoCycle is is to address consumer emissions. And one of the ways that we get at climate change here is addressing all the stuff that, are, that we use, buy, and then throw away. Yeah. And all the emissions that go with that, and that under control, we can really begin to address climate change. And a lot of people don't think about that, you know, Zero waste is what we call recycling, composting, waste reduction, that whole suite of, of things we can do to minimize our impacts. It has a huge climate footprint, but very often zero waste isn't even at the climate table, right? We, we mm -hmm. think about, we think about well, where does our electricity come from? Where does our heating come from in our buildings? And where's the fuel for our cars? Those are the big ones that we, we think about. And those are very important. But one of the things that people don't, often understand is that 42% of the emissions in the United States come from making, transporting, using, and disposing of our stuff and our food. 100%. Yeah. So it's a was, huge part. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about before we got on this podcast, I was going to make a list of all the things that I, I consume and use every day, like <laughs> toothpaste. I have facial cream. I have facial uh, sanitizer or whatever. I have shampoo. I have soap. I have sriracha bottles. I have packages with my, that I eat with my grapes. I have talked about protein powder that I get every month. And it's all this plastic packaging that I'm, that I'm creating, or not even creating, I'm um, adding into the environment. And I'm also curious just what recycling actually is because I'm kind of skeptical that we even actually recycle ah, things. Well, let's talk about that. But also just think when you think about your stuff, you're thinking about this, mm -hmm. your clothes, yep. your car, all of that, almost all of that comes from other places. So whoever made your, your iPhone, it, it counts against their emissions, right? The making of this phone, but they're making it for you and you're using it. And so it's really interesting. One of the reasons why it's hard to address consumption emissions is that they're not counted for in greenhouse accounting very well, because normally when we figure out what your climate footprint is, it's again, your electricity, your heating and your fuel. And, you know, within Boulder, for example, but the emissions that came that, that were used to make all the stuff that gets transported in, that's complicated to capture. So it's not captured. So let me tell you the ways that recycling and composting and other zero waste solutions affect climate change. Yeah, and can and we I'll, make sure we know what and what all those terms mean as well to make sure everyone understands? Okay. So recycling. Yeah. Um, so that's where we take materials 
And there's a suite of things that we put in our single stream bin that are commonly recycled. So glass, paper, cardboard, aluminum cans, um, some kinds of plastics. Those are all materials that we recycle, okay? And when you think about it, a ton of energy is saved when we use those materials, like take an aluminum can and use it to make a new, a new aluminum can. We save all a whole lot of energy. So for aluminum, and it's one of the, the most important um, when it comes to this percentage, 90%, over 90% of the energy is saved by making a new can out of an old can, as opposed to going and mining more bauxite ore in the rainforest, smelting it, turning it into aluminum, and making it into a can. Wow. So okay. a huge savings if you just recycle it. And just so you know, aluminum is worth so much money and has such a big climate footprint. Never throw away another aluminum can, okay? It what, should always be recycled. What's the deal with that other 10%? Is that what it took to originally make the can? Well, it just means you still it still takes energy to make a new aluminum okay, can. Okay, so fair enough, yeah. Okay, and so you save um, by recycling materials and making new stuff out of old stuff. You save a huge amount of energy, and energy is fossil fuels, and fossil fuels equals climate change. So there's a, a major footprint that comes from just recycling, okay? There's other ways, though. Composting is another way um, that's really important with the climate Smelly footprint. way. Yeah. Okay, so when organic matter, okay, organic waste, and that's anything that, anything that used to be alive, okay? Um, it, uh, when it, you put that in the landfill, right, it gets covered with stuff. So it's anaerobic, no oxygen. And it, I'll just say for parlance terms, uh, it rots and it produces methane. Okay. Oh. So methane is a horrible oh, uh, greenhouse yeah. gas. It's very potent. It's much more potent than carbon dioxide in the short term. It's 84 times more potent in over a 20 year period than carbon dioxide. It just, uh, breaks down quickly. So it, it's a short-term pollutant with huge impacts. Okay, so you don't wanna be sticking organic matter in a landfill where it produces methane, that's bad. And here's the other kicker. If you take organic waste and you compost it, um, and it, it breaks down in the presence of oxygen, so that's the difference. And y'all, you, most of you have probably seen a compost pile, right? Mm -hmm. And it creates this this wonderful um, mixture of carbon and nitrogen and microbes that are breaking it down. And if you take that and you apply it to soils, and keep in mind, we have totally different soils and um, they, they could very much use um, refurbishment. So when you, when you apply compost to soils, it makes them much more healthy and it greatly enhances the soil's ability in the plants that grow there to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere. So y'all remember photosynthesis from high school biology, mm -hmm. which is plants, um, they, they suck carbon dioxide and they use it with the sun and water to grow Glucose. and they put out oxygen, yes. Yeah. And so by enhancing our soils, um, plants can suck out so much more carbon dioxide become healthier um, and take and take co2 out of the atmosphere and they store it in the soil that's the the thing people think it's all in the you know the tree is storing soil in the trunk but it's so storing there's three times more 
carbon that is sucked out of the atmosphere and stored in soil. So healthy soil becomes this huge carbon sink. So when we, we look at, A, how do we stop greenhouse gas emissions by you know, doing things like electric cars, but also not putting organics in landfills. We also can take that and transform it into climate solution, which is let's supercharge our natural mechanisms that help regulate the planet, like mm -hmm. photosynthesis, taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So zero waste between recycling, which saves energy, and composting, which prevents methane and becomes a climate solution. Doing these zero waste solutions has a huge climate footprint that we should be capitalized on it, capitalizing on and using to really address this existential crisis of climate change. Yeah. So, so when you say zero waste, it's the idea is as close to zero waste as possible. So that would be mean prioritizing consuming materials that can then be reused, which would mean less plastics, more stuff like aluminum. Is that the idea? Cause I look around the room and I see so much plastic and I never did before until I started thinking about these things. But now I see how, how essential. And then I know one of the, on a couple episodes ago, we had Debbie was talking about how the, basically like most of the vehicle is made out of different things from those fossil fuels. So fossil fuels are, would not be part of this zero waste idea. Am I, am I right? Right. And think of it as right now we have this linear consumption model. It's called make take waste, right? We, sorry, take, make waste. So mm -hmm. we take things out of the ground or we cut down trees, we take them, we make them into products, we consume them and then we waste them. We bury them in the ground, right? Landfills are just a way to bury stuff in the ground, including stuff that's worth a lot of money, like a lot of money, like aluminum. Um, Gross. And, yeah, yeah. So, um, instead of this linear model, we need to get to a circular model. And a lot of people talk about the circular economy where resources are cycled endlessly and, and not buried in the ground. And that's and how earth works. Burnt. That's yes. how earth without humans works naturally. Yes, We've created exactly. this own thing that is detrimental. Yeah. It's a one way street that ends in a dead end. And instead we need to, um, get back to that. And so, we have that in place in, in pieces. Mm -hmm. So for example, around here in our region in Boulder County, we have a closed loop for glass. So you drink a beer and you put it in the recycle bin and it comes to the Boulder County Recycling Center and we sort it and we um, pass it on to momentum recycling that further sorts and separates all the different pieces of glass into different types and sells it to Rocky Mountain Bottling Company that makes it back into a bottle. And then it's back on the shelf. Presumably they, the estimate is in with, within two months um, to make another uh, six pack of beer. So, or whatever, kombucha or whatever you drink. Um, so that's example of a closed loop where the materials are cycled. And we want to get that in place for many more materials we, uh, as much as possible. As much idea. as possible. The other piece, though, of this that I, I need to mention is the, uh, the, the it goes reduce, reuse, recycle. Recycling is the last thing, not the first thing. The first thing we need to do is consume less. Do I need to buy another jacket this winter? Can I just buy a used one or better yet, use the one from last year? 
well, you know, those sorts of choices. Or can I go buy in bulk packaging altogether? Um, can I take my, 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 my reusable mug to the coffee store instead of having them give me a, a, a cup that I use for two minutes or however long it takes me to drink coffee and then I throw it out? Those sorts of reduced choices. And then we have the reuse paradigm is once we have made something, how do we get the most out of it and have it reused? And that's where all the, the sharing economy comes into place. Um, thrifting, um, reusing, this is a form of reuse mm -hmm. and so on. And we can do it at much larger scales, um, but that's that part. And then recycling is when something is done with its useful life, how do we take the, the, the parts and, and make them uh, into new, new uh, products? Okay, gotcha. and then re and end up sending as little as possible to the landfill or into the air as emissions or the water as pollution. So there's a, a bell going off in the, the inner capitalist in me. I want to sell people as many things as possible to get as much profit for my company as possible. So there's this, this mixed incentive here of what's good for the community versus what's good for businesses. Businesses want people to consume and we want to live sustainably with the earth. And this is the society we are realistically in right now. So how can we pioneer such a drastic change? How can we incentivize businesses to want to live um, sustainably or, or, or circularly in this system. Do you have any, any responses to that? Yeah, there's, I think, several ways to look at it. And one is, as consumers, we make lots of choices every day. Mm -hmm. And that adds up. So I think huge. that's important, is to think about your choices and help others think about their choices and to make better choices. So that's one part of it. But it shouldn't be all up to me to try to save the planet by which thing I buy at the store. Mm -hmm. We need to also change the system. And so okay. part of it is, is having the producers of stuff take more responsibility for what they're putting out there. It's, called, it's a concept called extender, extended producer responsibility or EPR. And it's a concept that has taken hold in Europe where you put your Coca-Cola, you put out drinks in bottles, when people are done with their drink, you take the bottle back and mm -hmm. either you make a new bottle out of the old bottle um, or maybe you start thinking about reusables or find a better system. But you're responsible for the bottle, not the consumer. And how do we change that? Um, and if we change the playing field so that applies to all businesses, then it becomes a race to the top. How do you as a business person design your product? as a service rather than a thing, um, or if you produce things, then how do you make them in a way that they are easily reusable or recyclable, um, but design your business such that you're taking full responsibility for the whole life cycle of your product. And yeah. if we change the rules so that was required, then we are incentivizing businesses to be as good as they can be, as opposed okay. to who can do something as cheapest and you know, with lots of waste. So back in like the 1920s, when you'd buy a Coca-Cola, it would come in a glass bottle. Is that, is that right? And in the last 100 years, most of the time you see a Coca-Cola bottle, it's, it's in a piece of plastic. And I'm assuming, first off, number one, 
the plastic is not what gets cannot really be recycled. Is is that correct? Or it can be recycled once or twice versus glass, which can be re recycled multiple times. Generally speaking, yes, it depends on what kind of plastic. Um, uh -huh. Yes, glass can be recycled numerous numerous times. I but it's not necessarily totally benign. Glass weighs a lot, so if you're transporting lots of bottles. It takes a lot of fossil fuels to transport heavy bottles as opposed to lighter bottles. So it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. But the point that I think you were making is in the 20s, you would drink a, a Coke out of a bottle and give the bottle back, right? Well, yeah. And, okay. Well, okay. And there are states that have bottle deposit bills, for example, where regardless of whether it's glass or plastic or whatever, you get a 10 cents deposit back when you, when you give it back. Incentive. And that is a form of extended producer responsibility because then the companies take the bottles back and they've got to do stuff with them um, or they get recycled. But it's the companies become responsibility. It's embedded into the system that they have to take them back. So that, um, that's, that's the solution then. Because what, no, what I was getting at is that if the plastic bottle well, is... Well, it's one of the solutions. We Sorry, it's the connection. It, it, it's if the plastic um, bottle is ha costs half a cent and it costs one and a half cents to use a glass bottle, how can we effectively incentivize companies to use glass instead of plastic? And you're, I think you're saying the answer is through government, like incentives in some way, something like that? Or um, restrictions. I mean, people don't like the mandate word, but on the other hand, why can't we tell companies, hey, guess what? You can't pollute. You can't put right, car right. carbon dioxide emissions into the air. And or into the ocean with plastic. Exactly. What, what if we say you can't do that? Um, then suddenly all the bright young people like you will be like, oh, well, let's design the system so it does this instead. Um, since I, I'm not allowed to do it this way, I'll do it this way and it'll be better for the planet. And oh, by the way, people are going to want to drink my product because I'll say, hey, my brand is all about doing right by the planet. Um, mm -hmm. and, and oh, Fair by the enough. way, may, maybe you should be making a healthy drink as opposed to um, an unhealthy drink. And that helps in lots of other ways too. So I think that's part of the answer is to change the system to, to, to move businesses towards doing the right thing. And when you have to do the right thing or the right thing is the cost-effective thing, it makes the system work it, and it builds circularity. And I do think that take uh, companies like Patagonia, they do produce, they do produce stuff, but they are constantly figuring out how to produce it in a way that is much more circular. And they do it by their the supply reuse. chain. They part focus of on the reuse part. They want, yes. they want to keep using their products, not throw it out. And they're almost getting to the point where you, in some ways, are almost leasing your jacket, right? You buy it, you wear it for a few years or until you wear it out. And they say, we'll take it back and use that for you to buy your new one. And um, we'll, we'll recycle it. And they also, they also care about their supply chain. Where, where did the wool come from the wool sweater? And how do we support farmers in the countries that grow sheep to do it in a sustainable way? And you pay a bit more for Patagonia, but of course they also make good products and they, they give back 1% for the planet. There's all kinds of reasons why you would want to be a part of that brand. Plus they produce good stuff in a way that's more circular. And so imagine if we required, I mean, the good companies are figuring it out. What if we made all the rest of them figure it out? Yeah. And that's, the, the, you know, incentives, mandates. At some point you just say, 
you can't pollute, right? Right. And yeah. No, so no, I, I love this because I'm always grappling with the the top down versus bottom up approach on this show. I'm trying to figure out is it government, is it people, or is it businesses? And I can I'm really happy to have you because you're giving me a very strong case for the government. But my problem with creating restrictions and stuff, and then as far as more right-winging conservative people, the government is is very ineffective at a lot of the stuff that it does, and people want to have this free market. And I'm not saying we, we can't have a free market with reasonable restrictions, like don't destroy the planet, but there's the government is, is so testy and you can see it can drive people crazy. And then they put in a, a regulation and then the other side just completely tries to fight it until it doesn't work. And I think this is a, a good transition perhaps to talk about what inspired you to serve on the, the, the city council and what kind of like inactions you've put in on the local level, as far as, I don't know, just politics in general. Well, so one thing I'll just say is when you say the government, mm-hmm. um, at the local level, the government is us. That's okay? fair. That's fair. And I was just a citizen who cared about climate and a citizen activist, I guess. And so people said, hey, why don't you run? And so I did. And um, so I could be a part of the decision making, but I'm just a, a citizen of the community like everybody else. And here in Boulder, people are pretty informed and activated. And so city council meetings or you get a lot of public input. A lot of people are engaged. And so it's a matter, should. yes. So I just, when, when we say the government, uh, we, we are the government and we decide for our community what makes sense. And so that I was what that. was so much fun about, I mean, it was hard because nobody in Boulder agrees, but- It's an impossible job. It was really fun to be in the middle going, okay, let's problem solve together and let's figure this out. And it was also fun because our community really cares about the environment and expects city council to lead. So there was a mm-hmm. lot of political um, license to not try um, progressive things and to see what we could do, but there was almost an imperative. And so being on city council, we were trying to figure out how do we as a city reduce our emissions? Um, how do we get really creative with businesses to have them help us figure it out? And we, you know, this town is filled with startups a lot of energy startups, a lot of tech startups, right? And they got great ideas. And so, you know, you pose to them the question of is how can we do this better and more efficient with less pollution, um, make it cheaper, make it accessible to more people from different incomes, you know, whatever, and then let them loose on it. So I think what you want to do is, is, is harness the best of the, I don't know why we call it the free market. Is there anything free? But anyway, (laughs) harness the best of that the entrepreneurial spirit but give it sideboards and say go design the best whatever but without but pollution that, or that's fair you know and, and so why that, haven't we done that is did we not know did we not care um the great pacific garbage garbage patch i've known about since i was nine years old there's a there's garbage the size of texas floating in the ocean we're still polluting we're creating more than we've ever created is is it too late is it too early i don't know well, in terms of climate, the clock in terms is of taking, pollution, pollution. Oh, in terms of pollution, in well, particular, because this okay. is more about the. I mean, yeah, there's these eco or the personal emissions from consumption, but there is this huge problem. Even if you, I mean, I obviously believe the climate change is happening and we need to act right away. But even if you don't believe that at all, there's still this thousand or billions of pounds of plastic pollution 
in microplastic all over the world, in the ocean, on our, you go to a different country, you see garbage everywhere. We clean it up here. They don't have the resources to clean it up everywhere. Um, I don't know where I was going, was going with this. Just what you said is that too late. And I will say the, the clock is definitely ticking. You've seen the statistics about how by 2050, we will have, if we keep on at the, at the current rate we're doing, we'll have more plastic in the ocean than fish. Okay, that is a scary, scary thing because plastic doesn't go away. It gets, it degrades into littler, little pieces that look like food to fish, um, but it doesn't go away. All right, it, it, it's built to last, right? So plastics is a problem. And it, I'll just say this, um, it's made from fossil fuels. And right. as we put pressure in the oil and gas industry to move from, well, and, and the society to move away from um, fossil fuels as fuel and move towards electrification, right? And clean energy. The oil and gas industry is like, well, we're going to make money then making plastics. And they have plans to quadruple production of plastics. So that's scary, right? So we're working at multiple levels again to say, hey, wait a minute. If it isn't circular and non-toxic and necessary, well, let's stop doing it. So, for right. example, we make a lot of things out of plastics that we, as a society, that are single use and, and made to be disposed. So, a plastic fork. You go get your takeout, you use it, you throw it all away, right? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. These are fossil fuels that took millions of years to create. It's crazy. And we're using them for 10 minutes and we're throwing them out and they never go away. So, they end up in the landfill or if you're in a country without a waste collection system, they end up in the ocean, in your rivers. That's, inc that's insane. So yes, we have it to really stop that. And so one of the things that we're working on is let's stop making single-use disposable plastics, stuff yeah. that's not necessary, okay? Turns out you don't really need a straw. Unless you have a physical disability, um, you don't really need a straw or let's make them out of paper. They work just fine. Um, and paper's recyclable. Yes. Um, but do you even really need a straw? I mean, the margarita tastes good without a straw. You don't need a straw, right? So, but yes, if you're going to use a straw, if you need to use a straw, yeah, you can make them out of paper. Um, so we're working with communities to get them to put fees on bags, to, um, to take, uh, to address the single use disposables. We have, we have a limit here in Colorado in that we are all preempted. There's a preemption clause that the plastic industry put into law that says local communities can't ban plastics. We're trying to get that overturned. But meanwhile, uh, communities are trying to thwart that by putting, uh, 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 I was going to say, um, fees on bags and, and stuff like that. But ultimately, we need to get rid of single-use disposables. So that's this one, is, one way we should do that. That's such a challenging thing to do, though, because as Americans, this whole idea of, of trying to put restrictions on people and stop them from doing things people consider restrictions so i took this whole class in philosophy about positive versus negative freedom americans are all about their negative freedom which is freedom from coercion so anytime you want to put a restriction on someone you're going to have to argue with them for two hours and then let your thoughts sit and people don't people don't want restrictions so how can we effectively communicate that this is in people's best interests because 
specifically Americans are so hesitant to being told they're not allowed to do something. It's like the whole thing the country was founded on. So it's this huge challenge. It's for your best interest, but like you don't want to listen and it takes time for ideas to sink into people's heads, you know? Well, okay. So there's a couple things. One is um, we don't have to tell people they can't have straws. We can tell businesses you're not allowed to use them. But, yeah. but the other thing is, again, if we said to a company, hey, you are responsible for what you put out into the world. And suddenly they're like, I got to like, like do every, every straw I make. I got to like go figure out how to deal with it. That makes sense. I'm going to quit making straws. I don't really need straws. The world doesn't really need straws. Again, unless you have a disability, you don't really need a straw. So, so it's pushing, it's putting the responsibility on the right person. It shouldn't be up mm-hmm. to me to figure out what the heck to do with the straw that came with, I didn't even ask for, but here it is in my cup. What do I do with it? I, I didn't want to be responsible for this. This is not the choice I wanted to make. Um, so anyhow, I think we as a people decide what the sideboards are and we can call them government regulations, but I think of it more as the people saying, you know what, it's, it's, we don't want this stuff in our lives and we want the companies to take more responsibility for what they're putting on. I think that's smart. Um, and there are, you ask if everything gets recycled. I, I want to say a few words about that. Please do. Especially when it comes to plastics, there are certain types of plastics that are very toxic to make um, leach into your food. They're not that great. And uh, they're not really recyclable. Styrofoam, polystyrene, that's yeah. one of them, okay? Not good stuff. It'd be great if we could ban that, except for, on you know, it's things like where you beads, really need it. Right? Yeah, it's bad stuff. And so number three, number six, number seven plastics, we shouldn't be buying them, but even more importantly, we should tell industry, quit making stuff out of them. Mm-hmm. There are other resins, ones, twos, and fives, that there are markets for that are reusable, that are less toxic. Okay, to the extent that we need to use those products, let's make them out of ones, twos, and fives, and not threes, sixes, and sevens. And so that's something, you know, as we run, EcoCycle runs the Boulder County Recycling Center. And so we collect all this stuff in single stream, and then we, you know, we sort it out, and we put it into big bales, and we market it on behalf of the county. And there aren't markets for a lot of this stuff anymore because it's crap plastic. And so we're trying to get some consumers not to use it, but we're also participating in dialogues like the U.S. Plastics Pack, which is um, a big national dialogue with all the big brands, Coca-Cola, et cetera, Tide. Um, And it's it's being run by Ellen MacArthur Foundation and World Wildlife Fund and they have set some pretty ambitious goals and they're trying to bring everybody together to say, how are we going to make, you know, A, will you sign up for these goals and B, how do we get there? And they are things like, let's quit using crap plastics. Okay. Let's, you know, address these single use disposables. Let's quit making this stuff. Um, Let's really make the markets work for the kind of plastics, ones, twos, and fives, that stuff like PET bottles. How do we make that really work um, better so that they uh, there's, People don't throw away things that are valuable, technically. Um, so how do we make that work more so that we are capturing all those bottles? And part of it is if those big brands said, okay, we're gonna make sure that every bottle we produce is made out of a, you know, a minimum recycled content. So there's a market that's, that's pulling, you know, making it all work, right? If there's an end market that wants these things, then they won't get thrown out. 
So we're part of these national dialogues to change the system, but with businesses to get them at the table to um, shift their model so it's more circular, um, so it's better for the planet, but in a way that, you know, will work economically as well. And we'll build their brand, right? When you go buy yeah. something, you want to feel good about what you're buying, right? So mm -hmm. you want to support brand doing the right thing. So we're, we're working at multiple levels to address what is, you know, a major crisis. Plastics are, are a big crisis in addition to climate. And again, plastics have a huge climate footprint. They're made out of They're fossil related. fuels. So uh -huh. all, all along their product, the production and what you do with them at an end has a huge climate footprint. So these things are all really related. And that's one of the, I don't know, the big emphasis of our work here at EcoCycle is to get people to think more holistically um, and to change the system to be more circular. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I appreciate you coming on here. Now towards, since we're getting kind of towards the end, I just want to do a little transition, which I think kind of is a good way of wrapping up everything we've been talking about, because we're really talking about fundamentally changing the way we live our lives in a very large scale way, the way businesses um, produce products and the way we consume things. And I had, so, I saw that you had done, was it a talk or like an article about where in the world happiness is? Is that, was it a talk? And, oh, yeah, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is because suicides are at an all-time high, depression's at an all-time high. Everyone's like, this is America. We're doing it. This is the best it's ever been. It's the best country. We're doing everything so amazing. We're the model for the world. But do we really want to measure our society in, in dollars? Or is it more, I'm more a fan of this idea of a human-centered economy where we measure our prosperity and success based on how happy people are, what the, the, the standard of living is, what, um, how long the average lifespan is. So all these things we've talked about in, the way, in ways of changing our society would be more in favor of, of that. So it's like if, if everything we're doing is so perfect and amazing right now why are people so depressed why are people so upset um and why are we killing the planet you can and now we have so much evidence for it i just thought you might be cool to touch on that at the end here i absolutely agree with you that we should be measuring our progress as a society as a country as a community on metrics that get at what really matters love and, yeah and equity and justice and sustainability right and so how do we do that? And the thing that you were talking about that I was on was Boulder was deemed to be one of the happiest places in the United States, mm. the United, which is interesting. The United, <laughs> States is, the United States isn't that happy, just so you know, um, right. compared, compared to other places, maybe even with lower standards of living where people are more connected, um, more connected to each other, more connected to the planet. Um, and I think a big part of what makes people happy is leading meaningful lives, doing meaningful work that has integrity to it, right? And so one of the reasons I, that we were arguing that, as, that Boulder was more happy is there's a lot of people here engaged in work to try to address big problems uh, like climate and sustainability and to figure out new models. And that there's a lot of meaning there. It doesn't mean everybody's like, hey, everything's fine because everything is not fine. But working together to solve these problems um, and to change the systems and to in include people in those discussions, like that is very satisfying um, 
and, and leads to happiness at some level. So that's yeah. what I guess I would leave us with a call to action is, yeah, we need to all be paying more attention to our own choices, but we also need to be working together to change the systems. And we're a democracy and democracy is driven by people making uh, their case made for what they want and making the change happen. And regardless of who's in the White House, we need to lead. And certainly that's become clear as national, you know, our national leadership isn't really happening right now. We need to come up with the solutions. We need to make them happen. We need to make the system reflect our values. And so I invite everyone to get engaged in that. I, I think it's really awesome that you are provoking these really in-depth conversations about how we can do that. And there's a lot of ways to get involved. I invite people to get involved with EcoCycle, but there's lots of other groups doing really great work as well. And um, uh, finding a place to uh, get your shoulder into the wheel and to help with solutions, I think is really important and ultimately is also very meaningful. Yeah, and you're, you're spending time with people who care about things and you'll care about each other. And I think life is all about working well with others to make sure other people succeed. And I think that's, that's really great. Well, uh, Suzanne, I think we just, I don't even, I can't even say we scratched the surface today. I think we barely got <laughs> any, anything into this. So I'd love to have you come back on and talk. Or I'd love to talk with Judy about EcoCycle at some point. But um, either way, it's, it's been a real Anytime. pleasure to... Yeah, it's, it's been a real pleasure to have you. I appreciate you coming on. Um, and I hope everybody has a fantastic day and can look forward to another episode as this show continues on for years to come because there's never, uh, we're never going to run out of things to talk about and we can always keep improving and keep getting better. So uh, this was Changing the Climate. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate you listening. Take it easy. <laughs>